Hey, it's Greg Brady. Great to have you in for Toronto today for December the 16th. Well, a lot of talk about boosters opening 18 plus. Is that the call to make? Is there a chance? I mean, everybody seemed to want it last Friday. Is there a chance we've got the supply and we can distribute and we can move fast, almost like a wartime principle here, as if we're not at war? Of course we're at war. We'll talk to Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star as we get into it regarding what's here, what's coming, and what is next. We agree on some things. We disagree on a few others. Allison Krug, fantastic guest, epidemiologist. You'll want to hear this interview is in there as well. We've got to have Allison on more often. Just brilliant. What a great communicator. Maybe we should consider her for a public health position. It's all coming up next. Toronto Today begins now. Um, Shiba Siddiqui will join me in a minute or two. Let me get you caught up on a few things. You know this already. Alan Carter, by the way, in about 12 minutes from now, he'll host the Alan Carter radio program today at noon. He'll be in for me uh, tomorrow morning. I'm back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, next week. You know, I, we're really big in that elementary school demo. So it's great. The kids can get home, wake them up, sit them around the radio, and, and you can listen from 530 on. What, what 11-year-old isn't looking forward to that? Get them hooked at an early age. You know, stick that in their veins. The radio, that is. So um, let me get you set up on a couple clips that we utilized earlier this morning that's sort of brand new overnight stuff. You know two things already. Boosters open to 18+. plus. We just talked about that um, in a lengthy chat with with Bruce Arthur, um, which I found, again, really interesting. A lot of people, by the way, yeah, a lot of people are uh, are in uh, you know Bruce's kitchen a lot of people get in my kitchen about stuff we're we're big boys thick skin we can handle it um you know uh, as he said he doesn't want to come off as as doomy and gloomy we both agree on what's coming what's transpiring there is a omicron wave that's going to batter unvaccinated unhealthy elderly potentially unvaccinated elderly unhealthy people the more boxes you check, the worse it will be for you. We have to protect those people. No question about it. But I don't sense. I don't sense it. I don't sense a desire within our society to, to shut it all down again. Uh, you know, Bruce mentioned a lockdown, a circuit breaker. I, there's two things there. And like, again, smart guy. I, I think I'm a decently smart guy. So we, have, we try and have smart conversations. That's the whole point. But. We're going we're gonna to peak out. This wave, by the way, is going to come quickly, and then it's going to end quickly. But it's going to bring damage, like a tornado. How long does a tornado last? Not four days, okay? It comes, it goes, it leaves its, its chaos. Did you see what happened in Kentucky last weekend? That's Omicron. Delta and Alpha, they're, they're more spread out over time, okay? I don't need to be an epidemiologist or a, or a scientist to understand that. But again, um. I, I bring the research. I do the work. This show's about the audience, not about me. It's here for you. Omicron's going to double cases extraordinarily fast. We're going to, we're going to, we can't get caught up in that. It's things we can't get caught up upon. Um, if you've got a prior infection or you've been vaccinated, you, um, you, you're going to handle it better than if you haven't been. Plain and simple. Okay. So the question is, if this is coming, and here's our text line, by the way, 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640. Can we handle getting jarred by case numbers? Can we handle it? Okay. Yeah, there could be 300,000 cases a day in the United States. I would say that. I would think that that's possible. Um, but we're, we're, we're fatigued. We, uh, there's a level of mistrust. Who's kidding who? There's a level of mistrust with government officials, with people trying to get into government, okay? Everybody's got a motive here to make this political. We're five months before a provincial election. We just had a federal election. This is what I believe from reading and studying and listening. I, I'm consuming way, 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 way too much of this stuff, but um, I'm taking what I get and I'm trying to bring it to you. And I don't want to ask dumb questions to, to guess. We're going to have a great epidemiologist on, uh, by the way, at 830, uh, named Allison Krug from, uh, from the U.S. Most people aren't getting sick from this. Most people aren't. Most people will get a mild illness. Here's what Dr. Scott Gottlieb said. He, we, one of our favorites, wrote the book on this stuff, always on U.S. television. I think, I think he's incredibly reliable, apolitical. I know he's on the Pfizer board. I know that. But here's what he said about what's coming. He's been one of the guys that's been way, way, way more right than wrong uh, about 
anything that's transpiring. He hasn't overpredicted. He hasn't doom and gloomed. Here's Scott Gottlieb on what he expects and what he's seen so far. The cases that they've identified outside South Africa, 50% were asymptomatic, 50% had mild symptoms. You know, there's been reports, there's I've heard that there's been reports to CDC of people who had severe disease and people who have died from the virus. Again, it, that wouldn't be surprising if, if this is a COVID you know, virus, it's gonna get into susceptible, pop, vulnerable populations and, and cause severe outcomes. So far on the whole, again, it appears to be causing um, a lot of subclinical illness and less mild illness on the whole. If you look at the just early reporting from physicians in, in South Africa, OK, that, yeah, everything we see on the ground right now, everything we've seen on the ground is more. It's not optimistic about where it goes, but it's optimistic about who gets sick. It is. OK, this is an inevitable fact of life. No one's this isn't fake news. This is coming. Here's the good news. If there is any Professor Tim Spector, good morning, Britain this morning. We played this cut. A lot of people responded to it. I wish I could hug this cut. I'm into hugging. I'm a hugger. I'm a crier. OK, Professor Tim Spector says we're seeing more cold-like symptoms with the Omicron variant. Most people don't have any classic COVID symptoms whatsoever, and they're the ones that are in hospital. There's maybe me and maybe you that think, strong like bull, I'm not going to hospital. And I think that, I do, especially being double vaccinated and eligible soon for a booster. Here's what Tim Spector said. You'll like hearing this, I promise. So what we did is we compared the symptoms in London uh, in the last week to a month ago when there was pretty much no Omicron, it was all Delta. And uh, what we're seeing now is that the predominant symptoms are all cold-like symptoms. So the majority of people, over 50% of people, never have classic symptoms. And so they are getting uh, headaches, um, sore throat, fatigue, uh, sneezing, runny nose, um, and uh, the, 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 uh, the traditional symptoms, so that loss of smell and taste, fever and cough, don't even feature in that top five anymore. So um, people need to be on the lookout that this is, it, for people who are vaccinated or have had a booster, they're getting mild disease and it's going to look in most cases exactly like a cold. Okay. It's the moral dilemma of our lifetime. It's an ethical dilemma. It's a medical dilemma. It's all of that. There's large parts of you listening to this show right now, this radio station. You're exhausted. You did everything the right way. And maybe you don't even believe what you hear anymore from our elected officials or our public health officials. Man, woman, I get it. And most of us are getting mild illness from this. And you don't think it's worth absolutely taking our lives, turning it upside down when we don't even know that that will work. We don't even know that that will work. Have you seen any recent mass cloth mass data about schools lately? No, you haven't. I'm not telling you they don't limit the spread, but we've got this is all about cost and risk benefit right now. Our hospitals are going to get flooded. They're getting flooded no matter what we do. So we have huge calls to make. And I don't want the one out of 10 that wants schools to close. The one out of 10 that wants us all in our basements. I don't want them. I don't want them to get their way. I'm being honest here. I want to protect everybody we can possibly protect who's in a bad spot for this. But I don't want you sacrificing when you've done everything you're supposed to do. That's how I feel. Shiba Siddiqui joins me now. So I play that UK clip. You heard it a little bit earlier. Does the, What does that do for you when you hear a guy front line saying, this is what I'm seeing and it ain't all that bad? It calms me down. I feel like, okay, now we, we have a better idea of what we're dealing with. I mean, a week ago, two weeks ago, we kept saying it's too soon to tell. We don't know what Omicron is all about. But it seems like regarding the data that it's it's very mild. We're all going to have cold-like symptoms, at least those people who are vaccinated. Now, does that go for people who are vulnerable as well? Let's say our elderly population. Is it a cold-like symptom for them as well? It, uh, it and, and, that's, and that's what we need information about. You and I also played the clip of the... Um, the uh, transport transportation minister in Boris Johnson's government saying mm -hmm. almost saying like, like, wh why don't we have details? The, the, the host was pressing him. Why don't we have details about the person that died? Did they die from Omicron or of Omicron? And it's it's beyond the pale at this point in time right now to present less data to the public than more data. And we've 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 I don't want to believe that it was done on purpose, that they basically have treated us all the same, whether we're eight or 88. It's not public health's <sighs> job to do that. But 
again, the things I bring up, the we got to look out for people who are obese. We got to look out for people who have multiple comorbidities. And let's list those comorbidities. Teresa Tam doesn't do that. And Eileen Davila doesn't do that. And Kieran Moore doesn't do that. They don't Why do don't that. Why don't they do that? And Why I, not? I don't have a good answer for you. I don't know. Why don't they do that? Hmm. Do they think that everybody would think, well, it won't happen to me, so I won't. But what's happened now is the tables have turned. Yes. Um, we got to be an honest show here. The tables have turned and more people don't pay attention to that advice than pay attention to that advice. Because once you steer people wrong more than once, right, it's the... It's the spouse. It's the it's the kid. The more your kid lies to you, the less you're going to believe them. That's exactly the it. more the Look, more the more your husband's got lipstick on the collar, the less you can pass it off as an act. Oh, I ran into somebody at a at the you know how they spray that stuff around the bay. That's what that perfume is. They, they all those perfume sprayers that we I don't used know to have. What goes on at your house? Okay, I don't know what. but but you that's I ask the same questions you do, and I'm not willing to do it. And again, I I worry about I worry. Do, do we in the media? I said it earlier. Do we amplify the nine out of 10 parents that say, I want my kid in school no matter what? Or do we? Yes, amp- yes, yes, yes. But but are we doing it? We need to. Are we doing enough of it? We're or- getting louder. Brady, we're getting louder. Do we put? Because- go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. Okay. Look, I feel like it's December 2020 all over again. What's the difference? Everyone's in a panic, in a frenzy. Our government's got... I mean, it's a different round of it. Now you can go to the LCBO to get your rapid test because now now it's not about the vaccines. It's about the rapid tests and your boosters. But what's it going to be next year and the year after? I feel we're in an endemic. We need to learn to live with this. We need to protect our vulnerable. You brought up a great uh, obesity. That's a factor. Comorbidities. We need to focus on that. We need more information. But mm-hmm. I feel like we need to live with this. Those of us who are healthy and can adapt to society, keep the schools open. Keep the schools open. You can go to a, a, a game, a Raptors game on Saturday night with 10,000 people, and you think that's going to help? That's going to curb it because you're reducing it from 20,000 to 10,000? Doesn't do a damn thing. Not no, one it damn doesn't. thing. Come on. And I'm interested to know if, if I was going to that game on Saturday night and I'm one of those 10,000 people who gets an email saying, sorry, you can't come, I'd love to know why. How are they going to do that? Who gets to go and who doesn't? Right. And my look, I get the fear. I get the fear, right? And, and Bruce laid that out there, okay? Um, people will hear less severe and, and not take it as seriously. That was the concept two years ago. I think that's an irrational worry. The data shows that people are amplifying those who think the risk of COVID is many times higher than it actually is. Maybe we should be a little more, you know, they tell you in radio, be relatable. So maybe it's a good thing for people to be relatable about managing COVID risk. Maybe it's a good thing to point out easily nine out of 10 parents want the schools open regardless regardless of what happens. They think their kids are absolutely safe. They've had the opportunity to at least get them one vaccination shot. So we're taking choice away from those parents at that point in time. I'm sorry. There's so many deal breakers here. And I'm not saying regardless of what hospitalization rates are, there's no evidence of of all these net benefits to to hide out again when vaccines are widely available. It, You know, I'm going to go there. It sounds like a a, a talking point of the far right, Sheba, but it violates our civil liberties. It absolutely does. Oh, but I think we're all at that point. I think there's so many of us. When when this pandemic started, I was wide-eyed and I trusted my government and everything they said I did. I'm a rule follower when it comes to the law, so I did everything. And I'm at a point where I'm realizing many people are right there with me where I don't believe a damn thing. I think you need the votes. You need to win that election. You're doing everything. You make your decisions based on votes, not Mm. on the what's best for the people, and I no longer trust you. Our next guest is a uh, independent pharmacist. I like her uh, energy, her opinion on uh, on that social media thing that they should probably all shut down for all of our benefit. But she's on there now, you know, for the time being. Uh, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, she is uh, Kristen Watt. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for making the time. Good morning, Greg. It's great to be here. Thanks do, for having me. Do you want me to plug your independent pharmacy? Or are you like, please stay away? I've got enough business. <laughs> like buy your toothpaste somewhere else for the next couple of weeks. How busy are you going to be? We are completely overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> I, I got to send a shout out to my staff. Honestly, they're holding it together. We're doing everything that we can. And I think that the public is kind of getting that vibe of, of where we're coming from and what we're doing. So we're really asking um, people to kind of uh, think of their pharmacy as we go through this next little bit. Maybe don't call or walk in for a vaccine. I know that's what was said yesterday. 
And we were all stunned when we heard that people could walk into pharmacies to get their booster shots and kind of looked around at each other going, <laughs> what is about to happen to us? Yeah, there's a, uh, all right, you went there. There's a uh, there's a, a constant uh, news network. I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, but they, they put up a, uh, on the crawl, pharmacies will offer booster shots for walk-ins starting February, December 17th. And I assume you weren't at the top of a tall building or um, near any broken glass because you're here talking to me right now, but you, yeah. you know, and, and you're, and you didn't tear all your hair out, but you're like, no, that's not what's happening. No. And I mean, in, in their defense, it was apparently said at the presser by um, somebody at the top. So I understand why it was on the call. <laughs> So uh, I'm not going to shame anybody in the media today, but I will say that uh, we're asking people to understand that pharmacies are under a massive, massive amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've been open every day since uh, the pandemic began. We're really um, doing our best to provide really high-level care to the people of Ontario. We have vaccinated millions, millions upon millions of people, and we know what we're doing. Um, so if there's a place that's doing walk-ins, they know that they can handle it. Definitely a great place to go. If they're not doing walk-ins, it's because they know that they're uh, focused in a different way on providing that care, either by appointment or by focusing on the medications that they're dispensing or whatever it be. So just understand that each store and pharmacy is making individual decisions to provide the best level care that they can possibly provide. Kristen Watt is kind enough to join us. By the way, uh, she is taking uh, time out of her what's going to be a busy Thursday and a really busy several days to come. Kristen'sPharmacy.com. So if you are in that geographical uh, neck of the woods, beautiful country, by the way, way uh give her her give her your business uh especially when this even settles down you say you're testing a bunch of symptomatic people um that are coming and what 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 are you seeing on the ground floor in terms of their symptoms their ages what are you seeing demographically Sure. To be clear, we um, allow people to self-swab themselves and drop off the test so we don't have symptomatic people in our pharmacy. We wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that we were keeping mm-hmm. everybody safe. Uh, a lot of the tests right now that have gone out are due to uh, hockey exposure. We're, I mean, we're in rural Ontario, uh, big hockey towns, and we've seen a number of cases due to hockey teams, hockey tournaments, both uh, youth and children as well as adults which then is spilling over into school spread. So we've Mm. had a number of high schools need uh, testing. We've had many hockey teams need testing. Um, And as a result, we actually have decided to pull our own kids from both hockey and school for the rest of the week to preserve Christmas in our own kind of calculated risk assessment that because we know that any exposure uh, today means we lose Christmas Day. Oh, yeah, neither you or you and I, um, you're a lot closer to being a, uh, a medical expert than me, but I do what I can. And what I said to a couple people, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, push Bruce, I think, on this in a little bit is I worry that an 18 plus opening um, people demanded it. They wanted it last Friday. And I worry that I don't want a 20 year old healthy college student or some of these hockey players you're talking about um, getting, you know, like 18 plus getting booster shots when if, if a 48 year old who really needs one who's got, you know, comorbidities or multiple issues falls through the cracks. This is a race now. This will be a race to get these boosters. Is there any concept on your part, and I don't you know, mean to push you politically, but is there any concept that maybe even 18 plus, we needed to do 35 plus, 40 plus? What do you see? I'm not opposed to 18 plus at six months. I think it should be uh, closer to the five or six month mark, personally. Uh, I think that we have a massive amount of vaccine supply, so that's not going to be an issue. It's going to be the human resource piece that's going to be challenging. So we really need to see a ramp up of the clinic's the mass clinics, again, here in Grey Bruce, some of our clinics were able to do 3,500, 4,000 people a day. If we have those, mm-hmm. I'm not at all concerned about the age groups because everybody can get into them. We need them to be accessible. We need them to be walk-ins allowed. And I know I'm just saying don't do walk-ins at pharmacies just because people need to have multiple mm-hmm. options at many different places to have them. But no, I'm not so much opposed at age groups because we did allow high-risk people to get their first and second doses earlier. And those people are due now. These are frontline workers. These are people who have... Uh, other comorbid conditions that might be younger, people with disabilities, people with diabetes. We really need to get those people in. So we don't need to judge it based on age. We yeah. just need massive access across the province. Last thing for you, because you, you mentioned it too about schools and it's on everybody's mind. And uh, I, I just mentioned it earlier. Like I, I want messaging out there that I think the vast, vast majority of parents uh, under no circumstances, w- like not, not just want schools closed, but demand that they don't. How do you feel 
and, and we've got to re, we got to rejig our uh, our our you know benchmarks as well. We're closing schools that have three or four cases. High schools are closing with three or four cases, Kristen, and they're fully vaccinated, asymptomatic kids. Like we'll have to change that metric, or every school will close based on that metric. We need to make it make sense. We cannot close a school with 400 children in it when we're allowing 20,000 people at Scotiabank Arena. We need to make it make sense for the parents who've gone through so much. Kids have lost so much. We're in our third uh, school year that's been affected. We need rapid antigen tests for everybody. We need all the kids and all the teachers to get vaccinated. I'm uh, in favor of vaccine mandates for education. Yes, myself. me too. Me too. Uh, it will keep our kids safe. It will allow the schools to stay open and the economy cannot run if women are at home taking care of all the kids who are not in school instead of being in the workplaces. Thousand percent. Loved having you on and I love what you're doing. Kristen's, uh, Kristen'sPharmacy.com is where you are. Uh, thank you. Like we need we need thousands of people saying what you're saying and doing what you're doing. And, and I'm glad you're one of them. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you. Have a great day. You bet. Allison Krug is a Massachusetts epidemiologist based in Virginia Beach. She began working on COVID research and policy in Japan, has continued that uh, as uh, she lives in Virginia now, Virginia Beach. Oh, the flight to Virginia. Oh, that would be beautiful there right now. Allison Krug joins me right now. It's great to have you on. Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's it's actually a little bit chilly today, which is nice. How are you up there in Canada? Uh, it's uh, well, I got to do the Fahrenheit. Let me do it. I think I lived in the States for a decade. I got good at this. It's about 58 this morning. So we're okay. not complaining in Canada. Are you kidding? Right, right. No, I like Celsius, too. I actually keep a lot of my things on Celsius because it reminds me of Japan. <laughs> True. <laughs> I just get hopelessly confused. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You just said that uh, Canada is just now saying it's an airborne virus. Is that true? No, our, our chief medical officer of health for Canada has said it. Uh, that's not transpiring with our provincial government or um, and I think it's equally important to talk about the endemic nature of it, but we're not, I, yeah. I don't think you have politicians down there that are quite there yet. Are there? Um, I think, I think that the, uh, there's a, a growing acceptance that yes, it is. And that our policies need to, um, accommodate that recognition. Um, I do think though, that recognizing that it's an airborne virus would really help people, you know, take sensible precautions, um, for themselves and for others, because that really communicates how it's transmitted so easily. Um, and I, you know, in Japan, they talk about the three C's really closed environments, you know, mm -hmm. with uh, not good ventilation and close conversations and crowded conditions. Those are three things that are really easy for people to remember. And I, I think, uh, you know, Japan started with that messaging from the earliest days. And it, it would just be really helpful if we did that here. And you were talking about testing. Mm -hmm. Very important to make testing accessible when uh, surges come as you know they have frequently here in uh, Virginia Beach. People are are pretty much back to normal here, and they've really been. Um, I would say we're we're not we're not Florida, um, but we're somewhere middle of the road here in in Virginia. I've been watching the transmission for over a year, and uh, you know tests are hard to come by when cases go up because people are trying to take precautions. So we need to get rapid testing more accessible and not have the pharmacy shelves sell out. You're, that would be really helpful here. You, you, um, you've got contacts up here and you talk to Canadian parents. We obviously do on the show a bunch as well. What do they tell you? And, and yeah, you're, you're sh some of the experience with you being in the States is shared. Uh, some is probably diverse and, and is, you know, I wouldn't say irrelevant to them, but it's not, it's not relatable to them because it's two different countries and two different guidelines. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I am on Twitter, as you know, and I it's a really wonderful place for people to kind of reach out and make connections and ask questions and, and understand what's happening across borders, um, because it, it's almost impossible to keep up on the news everywhere. Um, and parents uh, that I have spoken to, I had a lovely conversation a week ago um, with a family up in uh, Toronto, and they were, you know, just really concerned about the information they were getting on vaccines. They were really hesitant to, to get their two teenage kids vaccinated. Um, and they're they're just really frustrated with restrictions. And, uh, you know, I think Canadians and Americans are really struggling with how to process all the messaging that they're getting. Um, and I think trust is a huge factor. Trust and fear is like it's just a really toxic combination. The oh. pandemic is like yeah. people are extremely fearful, but they don't trust the messengers. And so where does that leave parents? That leaves them twisting in the wind, looking for guidance on mainstream media or 
you know, on Twitter and looking for various experts that they can follow. And, you know, thankfully, there's wonderful people on Twitter with very balanced, you know, messaging and uh, incredible infectious disease expertise that I found early on in the pandemic and helped me find my way forward. But uh, to be honest with you, and, and I regret saying this, it has not been the CDC that I've been looking to for guidance. No. And I do think uh, public health, uh, same thing. I if someone said to me, you got to, you know, the, the chief medical officer of health for Ontario or Canada, again, they've got difficult jobs. Uh, no doubt about right. it. They've got a lot of, you know, I, I hesitate to use the phrase, but masters to please. Of course they do. But if they said, well, you know, would you think we should play this live? I hesitate because we get things out of context. I'll give you an example. The chief medical officer of health uh, for Canada, Dr. Teresa Tam, said in the summer, and I don't think this was out of malice and I don't think this this was a careless comment, but she said that they're trying to encourage vaccination. And she said, don't forget, just because you get fully vaccinated doesn't mean you can't, you, you know, it, it still means you can get infected. And I thought you got to elaborate on that con. We need nuance here because that's a discouraging comment. If what if people think infected means sick illness, symptoms, laying right. in bed, like that's the, if you're, we're trying to get shots in arms, not the other way around. And so there's been so much of that. So if I hear that live to me, that comes back to me and I drive home and I go, God, I, I don't want to, you know, yell and say, I know more than Teresa Tam because I don't, but I can't, I can't have that message out there live. I can't do it. Right. It's really hard because, you know, in, in an attempt to be honest, which I totally applaud, um, people get really confused. They're like, well, what's the point? If I can still get infected, you know, why get vaccinated? But that is precisely the point because you more than likely are going to be infected. You have your choice of immunity through vaccine or exposure to this virus. That's really where we are. It's um, you really don't have too many options uh, in front of you, especially as variants continue to be more transmissible. Um, hopefully less severe, but, um, you know, we're still waiting on data for that. So really the messaging to people needs to be one of hope and optimism. We have incredible vaccines that knock this thing back from something that could put you in the hospital if you're older or if you have underlying conditions and really make it so almost unrecognizable. It, it really looks like a cold that you might not even test. I can't even tell you how many people uh, in the last two weeks or so have been slightly congested or a slight cough or a slight headache or a slight runny nose. And they were like, really, do you think I should get tested? I mean, I thought it was just allergies or I thought it was mm -hmm. just a, a cold because other viruses are out there. You know, flu A is, yeah, you've heard about flu A on yeah, college campuses yeah. here um, in the U.S. And I have friends who are, oh, I have a nice network of hockey parents across the U.S. who are like, hey, this is what's going on in my team, you know, and I tell them what's going on with our team. So it really helps us, uh, you know, get a sense of what's what's happening with the vaccination status of the kids, how they're doing. But I mean, we really need to get that message across that vaccines protect you from severe outcomes, get vaccinated, and then you don't have to worry, you know, when you get infected, because you no doubt are. That's that needs to be the message of hope. What's been uh, it's so great having you on. What's been the appetite for five to 11 vaccinations since they opened? We're at about 30 percent in Toronto. And probably that's that probably signifies the whole province. I struggled. I, I've been four mandates for you, you name it. Gyms, uh, you know, sporting events, uh, certainly healthcare workers, education workers. I want them all to be vaccinated. And I think most parents feel the same. I really hesitated. I really hesitated with telling parents of a healthy six-year-old um, to get them vaccinated. And I hesitated with a mandate because, Allison, if they're hesitant and that kid is banned from school or I know now in New York, it's it's ridiculous to not be able to take them to a restaurant or a play or anything. I, I can't I can't advocate for that. And uh, and there's only one person that gets punished and that's the kid. And they've suffered enough. Right. A hundred percent. I think that, you know, one of the central tenets of vaccinology that, that I have read from the experts, remember I'm a master's degree prepared person. I'm not a doctor. So I'm an epidemiologist and a mom um, and, uh, you know, obsessed with COVID for, you know, 20 months now or whatever it is. So uh, I really love this topic. I really love studying it and understanding it and understanding health policy, which is my health and education policy are things I've been um, doing for 20 years. So my, my feeling about mandates is they are a blunt instrument and they harden people into bad positions and they make parents distrustful because parents feel like if you have to mandate me to get this for my kid, then why should I trust you? Why wouldn't reason enough? Why wouldn't the data enough be, uh, you know, be enough to, sufficient to convince me to vaccinate my child? And why can't I just talk it over with my pediatrician? And why can't I do it at my own pace? I think there's, there's a much better way to go about this. And uh, I sent a trial balloon out on Twitter yesterday. If I were in charge, I would, you know, talk to people about one dose. Uh, we have good data on adults showing that one dose is 
really effective actually in knocking back the risk of hospitalization for severe disease. And, and that's surprising to many people, but it's what I say when I approach people in gas stations, I literally, when I'm traveling for hockey, I literally will look for an opportunity to chat with somebody, a stranger about, you know, vaccination and how they're doing with all of the fear and the pandemic craziness. And usually people are pretty open. And when they're hesitant, I specifically look for people who are hesitant about vaccines. Um, they are really open to talking about one dose. If you go right at them with, you've got to get two doses, then they're like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I, I'm not so sure. But if you can talk about one dose and starting there and the significant protection it provides against severe disease, that's a place to move from. And data from Canada is actually showing that longer interval is yeah. uh, better with respect to the you know, the young males who were worried about with myocarditis. So it really seems like from a policy standpoint, from a persuasion standpoint, why not talk about one dose first and really reinforce the, the value of at least one dose in the longer interval, and then take the time to talk to parents about the risks and benefits of the second dose. We have that time. Yeah, we need as adults, I'd point out quickly, we had months of real world data before anybody came to us and said for your job or to go work out or to go to a hockey arena or anything. We had months of real world data throwing this to parents with no real. We had honestly, I'm going to say it. We had the mayor of Toronto say we have to mandate five to 11 year olds. No visor hadn't even released preliminary data yet. You can't do that. You you can't tell. There's no data. There's not even a study, a test study out there with with numbers that anybody could parse through. And yeah, that that sows utter seeds of distrust. Now, he hasn't mentioned it about three months. Um, many politicians have things they want to leave behind them, and that's his right. Let me ask you about the sort of the lay of the land when it comes to what's coming. Most people be believe with, with Omicron itself, um, we're going to see massive cases. We can't get too alarmed by that. I, I, I'm sure, and I think there's a sea change in the media where where the cases aren't being led with anymore. You're seeing the bad actors, you know, blather on about cases and what a disaster and this and that. When we got to talk about hospitalizations and we got to talk about some of the real world, um, you know, risk benefit analysis of what we do. Schools have to do that. Sports has to do that. We've, we've all got to. I think we've gotten to a more knowledgeable place. I. I bristle when I see people say, well, it feels like March 2020 again, maybe for you, not for the 99 percent of us that read. Right. I mean, we, we have to, uh, you know, continue um, in, in our jobs. Many of us, right, uh, essential workers need to keep going to work. And it's not good to live in a, in a toxic atmosphere, a constant fear. And that's what focusing on cases does is, is you just marinate you in fear, as uh, my good friend, Dr. Lucy McBride would say. So we don't need to do that to people. Um, really, I, it's unfortunate that we're not getting a lot of good information on breakthrough cases and severity. I had to dig around before talking to you this morning to get an update. Um, from Washington State Department of Health, they're doing a great job following breakthrough cases. And I bring up breakthrough because that's kind of where we are now, you know, with most people getting vaccinated, the new terrain is going to be, what does a breakthrough infection look like? And should we be worried about it? And for whom? And then that leads you into for whom are boosters most valuable. But the median age for uh, hospitalizations following a breakthrough case in Washington state was 79. I believe North Dakota is also um, parsing this data, mm -hmm. but we really need this data aggregated at a national level so we can provide people some perspective on what it looks like, what the severity of disease is for breakthrough infections. And for most people, it's going to be hardly noticeable. Probably we're not detecting most of these cases. Many of them may be a rapid test done at home, and so they're not reported to this um, departments of health are not getting reported into the CDC. So whatever we're seeing in cases is actually an underestimate. Um, the original estimates by CDC mm -hmm. were maybe we're capturing one out of every four of, you know, what do you call it? Original, <laughs> original infection. Now we have breakthroughs. It's going to be the same thing. So I think that focusing on the fact that it, as you led with, this is endemic and that breakthrough infection will be mild if noticeable at all. Um, vaccines protect you from severe disease. For some people, boosters are going to be really important in yeah. preventing severe disease. We lead with that. And, you know, this is this is the environment that we're in now. This has basically been turned into the common cold. Yeah, that, that's it. And and there's so much that circulates this time of year. So it might be impossible to differentiate between, you know, between these things. By the way, I love calling it COVID classic, but that makes me think of Coca-Cola classic when they actually wrote those entire words on the can and you walked right, around right. and you're like, I'm not One a new Coke friends. person. I never. And plus Bill Cosby endorsed it. We don't even want to go there. So I'm a co-classic right. person, a thousand percent. So all that ends up uh, being the case. You've been one of the great guests we've had like this week, the last few weeks. Have a great holiday. And I hope we can chat more again in the new year. And you're a great 
follow on Twitter too for being practical, pragmatic, and and yeah, still emotional about this. I appreciate it. Right. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, you have a great holiday too, and hate everybody up there in Canada. We Thank love you. you, Greg. You and Sheba spelled it with two B's, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll get that right. Bring straight talk. The science table said cases would explode with Delta. They didn't. They said we shouldn't open stadiums or bring the Blue Jays back. We did. They said indoor dining was too soon. It wasn't. They said we'd have 10,000 cases by the fall. Cases were in the hundreds. It's a long text, like I said. They said schools would be a disaster for a second straight year. They haven't been and wouldn't be closed if not for cases among kids that aren't sick. I know we're in big trouble here, but I'm unwilling to tell my healthy parents and healthy kids, all of whom are vaccinated, they have to hide for two months. That's from Heather. Heather, I think there's way, 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 way more of you than there is anybody else. And thank you for listening to the show. You can listen at 12 noon today. You'll hear the Alan Carter radio program. He's a host, of course, of Global News at 530 and 6. And he'll be uh, getting up early uh, in with you on the morning show tomorrow. When I read that text, like, do, do you go, you know, you're in the community. You have neighbors. You have friends. You have colleagues. Do they all sound like that? Like that? That was almost weird talk a year ago. That was almost like anti-vax talk. And I feel like the conversation shifted, Alan. I do. Yeah, I, you know, the, we, we've seen polling, Greg. That, by the way, good morning, Greg. Uh, I, that, uh, <laughs> that we've seen polling that suggested that Canadians' reaction to all of this Omicron tour is meh, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And I think it's just a, just a, a fatigue to it. I, you know, I, I, I think that though the when you start talking about the science table and projections, we're going to get projections today, uh, you know, Big up, Dr. Steiny Brown. Where you been, Dr. Steiny Brown? I miss that guy. Yeah, the one guy retired. Our friend Dr. Dave retired, and, and Steiny just decided, like, like it's like hauling oats. It's like, well, if I can't have oats, I'm not touring anymore. I don't know what's happening with those two. Yeah, so I, I think we actually get to hear from Steiny Brown today because I think he's the, the straightest communicator that we have in yeah. terms of you know, science. I, I, the modeling, you just got to you got to realize that the modeling, you know, has worst case, best case, and, you know, and all of these. and. So, you know, when you see the modeling, what tends to happen is that you and I report, you know, 40,000 cases or whatever the scariest number is, because that's the headline. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're predicting that that's what's going to happen. But I, I think in terms of reaction, though, the way people are feeling right now, though, I, I think people we're back to the situation of choose your own adventure, you know, where it's like, you, you know, like, yeah, all, all these they tell us all of these things that we shouldn't be doing. And then you, then you personally, you're like, yeah. Nah, I'm going to just kind of analyze it and, you know, do my own risk assessment and then I'm going to go forward. That's where the problem is right now. So, I mean, do we amplify enough? I'm asking, do we amplify enough the um, the nine out of 10 parents that are adamant, banging their fist on the table? You don't close schools, period, no matter what ends up happening. We know it's going to get bad. And we also know you're you're a political veteran. You know, governments do sometimes things for the look as opposed to the pragmatism of it. And that's the fear is, are we going to cater to the one parent that says, let's all go back down to our basements and like it's March 2020 again? I just think they're in the minority, but but we amplify their voices sometimes. We do. Well, you know, and, and it's not up to the it's not up to the parents. And, I, I, you know, I think there's a you know, if you're a parent that is really particularly concerned, I mean, you have options, right? You can pull your kids out. You can move your kids to online learning. And you've been able to do that all the way along. I, I think for parents, the, the thing that really is just just jaw dropping, just jaw dropping, is to hear Dr. Kieran Moore. You're like, oh, you know, last to close, first to reopen, uh, and then he says, "I hope we can keep schools open." Hope, hope isn't the strategy, my friend. No. No, it's not. Can I make the case politically? I, I want to make a reference to what we see a little bit in the in the states, uh, but keeping it here, we have a. Uh, I think we can make the case. Maybe we have a lot of conservative premiers and a lot of conservative majority governments across Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Um, but I, but I think here, to me, and this is what I hear from people who are going to vote. They're like, I haven't been happy with the Ford government, but, but during the pandemic, but. If he keeps schools open, holds his ground and doesn't punish me and doesn't punish me and my family, it's amazing what I'd forget. And I think we're going to see that in the States next fall. 
Um, there are Republican governors who've just kind of let it rip. I don't love that. I wouldn't have advised it, especially pre-vaccination availability. Um, but it's been the Wild West. Those are polling. Those governors are polling way better than a lot of Democratic governors who are still masking five-year-olds and, and locking people up. I think Doug Ford can walk back into another majority government if he holds firm here. That's my thought. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a different kind of kettle of fish when you go south of the border. You, it, it's much more politicized. Even the vaccine is politicized much more than it is mm-hmm. here. I think that I, I think that Alberta is the closer, uh, and that's what I watch. Yeah, you know, look what happened with Alberta with best summer ever, and then they get the spike, and and you know, Kenny's in trouble, and all the rest of it. But what we've seen in Ontario is that you know, I think Ford and the Ford government learned a lot in the third wave. When you know, you'll remember tearfully the apology from his mom's backyard, from his late mom's backyard. Mm-hmm. Since then, there has it, we've had a change in chief medical officer of health, and I think that we have really kind of, you know, we've charted a very, very cautious, cautious route. We didn't throw it all open, you know. We didn't. We're not going to shut it all down either. And as long as I think Ford, you know, yes, he's a conservative, but he's not an ideologue. He's a populist. Yeah. What yeah. Is Doug Ford. What what motivates Doug Ford is approval. That's what it. That. I mean, think about the the worst day of Doug Ford's political uh, uh, career as premier. I still say was the Raptors parade when he gets booed on stage. <laughs> I that I mean that hurt. That got him to the quick. When he watches Trudeau walk on stage and get applause, till you, Tory goes on stage, applause. Ford comes out the boobers, and that's what motivates Doug Ford. And I think that is what mm. that's what it is informing the kind of middle of the road. And remember, that's that's the key to governing Ontario. That's the Bill Davis recipe. Never too hot, never too cold, right down the middle. I just have heard from too many people that say, Greg, I never, ever considered voting uh, for Doug Ford. I didn't vote for him last time. I wouldn't have thought of it. But if he leaves my kids alone, I mean, we, we all get to be that mama lion. Why don't they reference the papa lions ever? That's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I should come on your show and raise that analogy later today. But but you mess with my kids. You mess with my kids school. You mess with their sports. You mess with this. This is what turned a lot of the tide in, in the in, in a lot of government. They, they said, hey, should we have sports? Oh, I don't know. It's a little scary. And a lot of governors said, yeah, we should have college football. Yeah, your kid can play sports. And then they shrugged their shoulders. Remember when the Jays played in Texas? Super spreader event. If Doug Ford leaves people's families alone and just puts whatever protection he can in place for this inevitable wave of that's coming, they may get his vote in in June. And I never would have predicted it. I'm hearing from people I've never in a million years thought would vote for Doug Ford, and they're going to vote for him if he leaves them, the, the schools open. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, you know, keep in mind that politically, our, you know, we basically have the memory of a goldfish just collectively as voters, right? Like, if you think about that, like one more time around the fishbowl and we forget everything that's happening. We, we mm-hmm. so really, if you're talking about the pandemic and, and what that means for June 2nd of next year, when we go to the polls, I think it's just way, way too early to tell. Cause you could, you could have a situation where God forbid, there's another, you know, something out there like we relax things in the spring and then all of a sudden something comes up and, and then he gets and Ford gets pilloried for doing the wrong thing. That could really have an impact on the election outcome. And I just don't think there's any way to predict that right now. I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think that Ford has, you know, he has gained some supporters. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I, there's, a, there's a pretty substantial amount of people out there who aren't real happy with the way he's handled things, especially in schools. I hear that loud and clear. Hey, have a great show at noon today, uh, and thanks for uh, being in for uh, for our show tomorrow. Uh, I really do appreciate it. You know what a fan I am of yours. Thanks again for making the time. Oh, thanks, and and uh, you know I appreciate you stealing my producer Sheba Siddiqui. <laughs> you know, and I also appreciate that when I come to fill in on your show, she immediately takes vacation. I don't know what that's all. about. She's got more vacation than you, me, and Oakley combined. That's really saying something, man. I just, I don't even want to see that contract, man. I don't. It's, She's just going to a lot of lot, you know, a lot of lengths to just avoid working with me. That's something. Well, you know, for the time being, I, it, it might be just a ransom situation. She maybe she lasts as long as Urban Meyer did in Jacksonville before they fired him. Five year contract. He's fired after six months. Where do we get that deal? Okay, fine. Thanks, Alan. 
All right, take care, Greg. You got it, man. Alan Carter uh, with the Alan Carter Radio Program. Uh, our next guest is a uh, award-winning columnist for the Toronto Star. He stays up late. He hasn't had a day off in ages. He gets punchy. He needs a vacation. He's not getting one anytime soon. I know that for a fact. Uh, he is uh, Bruce Arthur. By the way, yeah, why don't you write in Vancouver and I do sports radio event? Why? Why do we? Why are we living here? What's going? Why don't we get sporting events ending at nine thirty? We both like to watch them. I was talking to a couple of friends from Vancouver last night um, and one from Victoria and my friend from Victoria told me that they just lifted the limit uh, on gasoline that you can put in your tank because after the big storm out there, yeah. we should really start naming West Coast storms. Uh, they, there was real, a real difficulty in getting gasoline to Victoria, like uh, between the atmospheric rivers, the heat domes, the forest fires, uh, I don't know that I'm ever going home, man. Yeah, it's uh, it is problematic. Uh, but again, it's it's pretty sweet to have um, Thursday night football and and it's nine thirty and you could go, you know, for a walk or a or a beverage or something. You're not like fighting. You're not punching yourself in the face to keep your eyes open when the Jags are playing the Titans. You know, Urban well, Meyer or not, I suppose. I mean, if you're watching the Jags, you're punching yourself in the face for a different reason. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. By the way, you and I know people in the media that got like an Urban Meyer contract and almost worked about as hard and as long. But we'll leave that for another. Like you and I are going to go. I tell people all the time. I'm like, Bruce is so funny. You, you're funny. Like, I'm not. This isn't a Goodfellas thing where I want you to hit me over the head with a glass. I'm like, he's so funny. It's the way he tells a story. And you're supposed to be like, what do you mean? Am I a clown? Am I? No, no. And so you and I should. I'm funny, too. But the listeners don't don't hear me. being. We can't be funny anymore like we used to be. Uh, the line I've been using is, uh, I'm really fun at parties, but they canceled all the parties. No, I'm you're, like, yeah. It's not <laughs> fun anymore. <laughs> um, the booster thing, we talked about it briefly, uh, privately yesterday. Is there any risk? We've seen this, we've seen this happen before in Ontario where it's a, it's a race and a scramble. So I find it tough to critique. I can critique a lot about the provincial government. I find it, uh, it tough to critique them opening it to 18 plus, but I'm worried. I don't want a 20 year old college student walking in for a booster who's far less susceptible to the potential for Omicron compared to a 48 year old person that's got multiple comorbidities. This has to be about the stock, the distribution and the access, or I worry we've made a mistake. I do. This you're right that things will happen. This is going to be messy. Rich people will get it before poor people. Healthy people will get it before immunocompromised people. Young people will get it before old people. That's all going to happen. Every bit of it. There will be like I I've been told that there will be a push to kind of redress some of the systemic inequity that's already built into this plan. Um, like for instance, like the list of pharmacies that they put out yesterday had nothing <laughs> east of Kingston, right? Like Ottawa, Ottawa, and, Ottawa and London don't have, uh, they're, and their their LCBOs even they don't have yeah. them, and they will. Like that's the thing is that they will they will be fixed. But we have entered the blunt force uh, phase of the pandemic because we are at the point as a province. And again, I hate to sound like a doomsayer or a fear monger or whatever you want to call me. We're at the point where anything we can do is good. And if we break some things along the way, that's fine. And in this case, you will have the flaws of those rollouts. But we just need to get needles in arms. One of the big problems of the booster rollout has been that there just isn't enough demand. They're just We haven't had enough demand for the actual boosters. The number of 70-pluses who actually have gotten their, their boosters, it's like 30%. 26%. Yeah, 26, 30 percent. Yeah, that's not enough. So without the demand, you just have to turn it into a scramble. And again, we're going to all feel like we're like we're hunter gatherers for a vaccine appointment. But at this point, Ontario needs to get as many needles into as many arms as it possibly can as fast as it can. It can't do it fast enough. But the faster it can go, every one of those appointments needs to be filled. Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star, guest. We're three weeks removed from finding out, in essence, about Omicron, though it had been in South Africa for a while. We played a clip from Good Morning Britain today of a uh, a professor uh, who says we're seeing more cold-like symptoms with well over over half of the people don't have a single classic COVID symptom. Three weeks in, no one doubts the transmissibility. No one doubts unvaccinated and vulnerable people are in trouble. You and I would absolutely be in lockstep on what's coming and what it's going to do to our healthcare system. I think I'm seeing way more that it should instill confidence 
in people that aren't in those four categories. We have to look out for those four people, but aren't are you see not seeing that as well that that the vast majority of our population who doesn't fit into those four categories, this is this is ending up being cold-esque, flu-esque for most of them in other countries. And it's that I'm saying this uh, like in in seriousness, that is both true and maybe the most dangerous message going right now. The idea that this could be mild for everyone. Okay, so no, but I didn't say that. No, 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 no. But like that, not not the way you said. But like uh, for the vast okay. majority of people, it will be mild from the evidence that we have. Except the evidence we have is still so preliminary. And if you look closely at Gauteng, deaths are starting to go along the same curve as they went with previous waves. In Gauteng, which is the hardest hit province mm-hmm. in South Africa, the hospitalizations nationwide are still rising at a fast rate in South Africa. And South Africa, all, every scientist I talked to, uh, the science table flagged this early. Um, average age is 27, and a lot of people have antibodies from previous COVID, like a hugely high amount, 8 to 10% of Ontarians have been infected. It's different. The problem you're going to get is there are going to be so many cases here. Yeah. Like yeah. At our current at our current growth rate, there will be seven hundred thousand total cases in Ontario by January first. Like it's 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 mind blowing stuff. The the absolute number of people who wind up going to the hospital is the problem. The absolute number of unvaccinated people in our province who are probably probably from all indications as vulnerable, more vulnerable than vaccinated people is the problem. Like we could be looking at a tidal wave here. We're definitely looking at a tidal wave of cases. No question. Yes. Yeah. Like, agree. That's going to, ha- we're going to have to change the way that we even think about cases and all of that. But the number that you have to understand is there's been no evidence that severity is as diminished as it would need to be to make up for the quickness of the spread. The European CDC said this yesterday. Like, this is a bomb coming. And that's why you need all the blunt force stuff that they did yesterday. And you need more than that. Because, like, I, I, I got to be honest. I don't know that we can meaningfully slow this down without March 2020-style stuff. And even then, the cases are still going to come. Okay, so so the vast majority of these cases, like I I feel, and I want to make sure you feel, will be among fully vaccinated and among asymptomatic people. Here's the struggle now is I just mentioned this this Twitter policy, and I can't understand this whatsoever. They're going to penalize users who claim there's a, so much bad information out there. Got it? Understand? Absolutely. Twitter's going to penalize users who claim vaccinated people can spread COVID nineteen. Well, I said it yesterday on the show, the vaccine, I think what, what, what is unfortunate, really unfortunate, is the vaccination protects you. It protects me if I get it. But if you're not vaccinated, it doesn't protect me from you. And and I, I, I wish it had worked out differently. That's been bad messaging from the summer. It'll protect everybody around you. There's not as much spread, right? Kristen Wong Tam got into this trouble a month ago. Of course, there's not as much spread or potential for a bad outcome if it's an unvaccinated person spreading. But we, Bruce, you're following sports like I am. There's fully vaccinated pro athletes popping this left and right and infecting tons of other fully. We'll have to shut all sports down if we don't redefine this. It's one of those things that's technically accurate. But like there was that Max Bernier tweet the other way, other day that you follow him. I find that hard to I find that hard to believe. I I do not. But so many people don't. That's I know. I know. Right. Like and but justifiably so. It's a stupid, reductive and and fairly inaccurate argument. Yes, vaccinated people can spread it as easily, like not as easily as unvaccinated people. No, but they can spread it. But the, but up until now, with Delta, the difference was phenomenal. Like you had about a ninety percent protection rate against in symptomatic infection with Pfizer, a uh, double Pfizer, right? Like it, it was incredible. Now Omicron has changed the game, and still vaccinated people have what's estimated to be about a 30 to 40% protection against infection with two doses of mRNA against Omicron. Now, that isn't enough. And that's where you're going to see a bajillion of vaccinated people get this because the breakthrough infection game has changed. And yes. the difference yes. is it still does appear that vaccinated people will be protected from this, like in terms of severe illness. That's the other part that we talk about. But unvaccinated people... the, the 
the, the scariest thing to me in this, in this province, in this world right now, would be to be walking around as an unvaccinated, unpreviously infected person. Like, and if you're immunocompromised, that would only add to it, right? And if you're older, that would only add to it. You need, everyone's going to get this. Unless you live in the woods and you can live off the land, everybody in the next, I don't know how many months, and we're talking months, I don't think years, are, are going to get this. So are you vaccinated when you do? Do you have previous antibodies when you do? And so in terms of the spread, like this idea that, that this has been a, again, a dishonest talking point that, and, in, and when people say it's the same, then it's a, then it's a lie. Like people who, who are vaccinated are protected and don't spread the virus as easily as much or as long. But all that is, all that is irrelevant now. The people, here's the big ask and the problem is you and I are double vaccinated. Neither of us are probably going to wind up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. What we are being asked right now is not to, not to, to, basically to adjust our lives. And my life it won't change a lot because we're pretty cautious. But to adjust your life in order to protect not yourself necessarily, because you're probably still protected, but to protect the people who didn't protect themselves, right? The unvaccinated. And I think a lot of societies is done with the unvaccinated. That's the like problem. Just, that's just, a big problem. They want to pull up the ladder, right? That's a and big. That, that's a big problem. And the problem is, we all use the same hospitals. And if as many people get this as we think are going to get this, and if it is as bad as Delta or even half as bad as Delta, our hospitals will be smoked. But you're right. Absolutely, they will. And so there's inevitability of this. Can, can I make the case that everyone getting COVID, it's not just inevitable. But sadly, tragically, with this, this whole thing has been a tragedy for two years. It's inevitable, but it's probably almost necessary. This is how the virus is going to pass through our population. We're so lucky to have vaccines. We're lucky that it doesn't affect kids like it affects 80-year-olds. I wish it affected nobody like it affects 80-year-olds. But that's why I can't advocate for you know 65-year-old vaccinated people not to be able to go to the gym. I, I can't advocate for schools to close. I don't think you are either yet. But I can't see it. And you're not going to have people comply with March 2020 rules. You and I know that. Well, except so there's a few things there. Um, I don't think we should be closing schools. Well, their, their schools are going to have two more days and then they're going to have 18 days off. And then we're going to have a very different landscape to which in which to have the conversation. I would be shocked if schools aren't virtual after the break because the case numbers will just be so high. But we got to redefine that. Well, yeah, no, but like, like things are going to be, things are going to get bad again, unless this thing is hellaciously mild. Um, it's just like, it's just going to be different. Like it may get to the point where we give up trying to control it because we can't because of staffing issues. What happens when everybody at the grocery store gets it? What happens that when the train conductors get it, yeah. who bring everything that we eat up Right through Chicago and we got twenty five thousand trucks that cross the border every day and we will not and we cannot and we never did shut those people down. So they're coming in no matter what or we don't have things to to eat and toilet paper and all the stuff we were worried about in March 2020. But in terms of shutting things down, uh, I think I'm at a point where I would and I, I don't know about compliance. I would shut everything that I could shut down for even if it's 14 days. Like, do it for as long as you can and vaccinate as many people as you can. Everyone that you can pull out to vaccinate people and get it. Like, if you can get 300,000 people a day and you do that for two weeks, then all of a sudden you have four, more, four million people who have been boosted, right? And with that circuit breaker, I was told that if you did a full mm. lockdown tomorrow, it might buy us three weeks. But if you look at exponential growth curves, three weeks is huge. Two weeks is huge. It'll like this thing's going to come so fast. And again, people might not like it and people might not, but they'll try not to comply. Right. Some businesses want all of that. Fine. Don't care. Like, honestly, I wouldn't care because we are at blunt force now. And the, the, uh, as I've said the whole time, the government should, if they close businesses, provide financial support for the affected businesses. Like and the government's been lousy at that because they've been a little too cheap the whole pandemic long. And. Honestly, I think we are at the point where we have to just throw everything at the problem 
to even put a speed bump up so we can get more people vaccinated because we just have too many unvaccinated walking around. I know we do, but I, 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 we can't, uh, you know, chloroform them and, and get them to a clinic and stick a needle in their arm. And, and we can't make people care enough to make those people do that who've done everything the right way. I'm not, look, we're not Florida. We're not at there will be a let it rip moment. It sure as hell isn't now. But I think you and I agree. The let it rip moment is probably going to get us to an element of freedom. It's not now. I'm not saying it is, but it's coming. I know. I think I don't think it's even a choice. Like, I think the only choice is you're going to change the definition of who can work with an infection, right? You're going to basically say if you're asymptomatic or low symptoms, go to work at the grocery store. Well, you're the NFL. You're going to stop testing fully vaccinated on like uh, eventually unsick people won't get tested anymore. We the only reason everybody wants to test so badly is so they don't get they don't get told to go home and isolate. It's not because they're worried they're about to fall ill. Well, and that's the thing is so. But even if that changes, like we just don't have a choice. This thing is too infectious. The the R is up between four and five. Delta's current R by by in, in the same context is one. Yes. Yeah. Like so. this, I don't even. I don't think we have anything in our society that moves fast enough. Is aggressive enough. I don't think we have the behavior. I think behaviors will change, but even then, mm-hmm. I don't think we'll have wide scale behavior. Like we don't have the tools to slow this down enough unless you use blunt force tools. And again, if you go back, the sins of this province were to leave too many people unvaccinated because the province was soft on vaccinations, and that is now probably our most vulnerable community. Again, it needs to be 10 times less less virulent to make up for the spread. I just, I haven't seen any evidence that that's going to happen. No, 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 no. And and, we we have too many unvaccinated people, and we have a society that is exhausted by really badly executed restrictions over the last two years and those two things are really going to hurt us yeah we, we agree we're, we're in for a world of pain um the question is yeah the question is how how we adapt to it and, and what tools we use i gotta leave it there uh, enjoyed our conversation we'll chat again brady take care of yourself. you got it man bruce arthur toronto star thanks so much for listening to toronto today live show tomorrow alan carter has me covered off 5 30 till nine o'clock i'll be back with you on monday so yeah Enjoy that. Alan's fantastic. You'll love listening. And we hope to see you again Monday morning, live, 5 30 to 9 o'clock, right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.